John chapter 1, verse 29 to 34, and it says there in verse 29, the next day, that's John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said to the crowd, and actually to him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit, which must have been extraordinary, mustn't it? I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I suppose you've got to find a baptism story, haven't you, really? So this is where I'm going. Uh, John the Baptist uh, said uh, this, just paraphrasing it a little bit. God showed me this Jesus. God showed me this Jesus. Now, you don't have to believe that, of course, and you may not want to believe it, but it's interesting that it is exactly that that Christians will say if you ask them the question, how did you get to know who Jesus was? And they will say quite simply this, God showed me. So it's not just John the Baptist's story, it's a story that has gone down through generations. Now, John the Baptist um, appears at the beginning of John's Gospel, and actually you find him in other Gospels, and then he falls into the background because he as a person is a link or a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what he does is that he has a little bit of the old and he has a little bit of the new, which is like me at 53 buying a new shirt. A little bit of the old, but wearing the new. And that's what he, so that's how he is. So in the Old Testament, he's a little bit like Elijah. And that's why you hear people say to him, are you Elijah? So he's got this sort of prophetic edge to him. You find him a little bit strange. He's in the desert. He's clothed rather strangely. He's eating peculiarly. And he's speaking directly to a nation. That's the Old Testament part of him. And yet we find Find him here introducing Jesus to a people. And this is the new covenant, the new thing that's uh, coming into uh, this nation of Israel. This prophet saying, look, here I am now. All that stuff that you read in the Old Testament now, here it is. Behold the Lamb of God. And that's what he actually says. His first words that he utters out to the crowd are, behold not a word that you hear today much. You don't often hear me saying to Callie, look, uh, behold, you know, we've got nesting birds or something like that. You know, you don't see that very often. And yet it was quite a striking word because if you'd have said it in the context, it would have basically meant that everybody would have stopped and had a look. 
It was it carried a weight to it. It was, you know, look, I want you to observe, watch, see, consider, think about, spend time on. It meant all of those things. So when John the Baptist is saying, look, behold the Lamb of God, the whole of the people that would have been there would have stopped. And I want to encourage you to behold. I would like to encourage you to watch, to take a look at, to consider again uh, the Lamb of God. Now there are three amazing stories or testimonies that lead up to this uh, event of John uh, meeting with Jesus. And one of the purposes of John the Baptist is that he is trying to uh, well, he's not trying. One of the things that he's, he has to do is make sure that he is not confused with Jesus. Because they, they were looking for a Messiah. This person had appeared in the desert. And, what they, and one of the things he had to say, look, you know, okay, I'm out in the desert here, but I don't want you to confuse me with the Messiah. So before the verses that we've read, he starts to tell three stories earlier in John's Gospel, which are in themselves quite striking, amazing. In verse 30, 23, he says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Which is true, because he was in the desert. He was saying that I am making straight the way of the Lord, which was a direct quote from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40. Which is, this is what it says there. It says, this is the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for a God. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And here's John the Baptist repeating that uh, out to the people that was listening to him. In other words... In Isaiah, the Lord uh, refers to Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God who is the creator, the ruler of the world. And now John the Baptist is saying that he uh, is that voice crying out in the wilderness and the Lord that is preparing the way is Jesus. What he's saying is the man that you now see is the God of the Old Testament. I'm crying out in the wilderness, and one of the things that I'm saying to you is, you know the God of the Old Testament, that God is here now. God is amongst us. I find, I, if you were listening to that, I would, wouldn't you find that a little bit scary, a bit? You know, God is amongst us, and he's here. Second, little story leading up to that is when the Pharisees asked John the Baptist why he's baptizing people, he doesn't answer them. He answers them in a strange way. And he says, look, I baptize with water, but the one who stands, uh, the, the, sorry, but among you stands one, you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not um, uh, worthy to untie. They ask why he's baptizing, and he simply says to, to them, but the one that follows me is, is superior to me, and I am unworthy to untie his sandals. What does he mean? He said, he, he means this. He said, you see this baptizing thing? It's actually not about me. 
Although I've got crowds that are flocking to me, although you can see people repenting, although you can see lives being changed, it's not about me. It's about him. And I am unworthy to untie his sandals. In the third story, John the Baptist says the main thing about Jesus, the Lord of glory who's come to earth. He says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. And we've read this. And he says to him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And then he repeats the thing just in case we don't get it. He said, This is the one whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And the point is that John is again emphasizing who this person is. And saying, look, this was the one that was in eternity. This was the one who was in the beginning. This was the one who was involved in the creation of the world. That's why he said in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Jesus used, um, John the Baptist uses these words and he says, look, this is the one that ranks before me. You know, you know this is the one, he's more important than, than I am. And why was he saying that about the, the issue of rank? And the reason he was saying that is that no ordinary human being can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everything that he has told us is essential to him being the sin-removing Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is superior. John was not worthy to untie his sandals. This is the one who was there in eternity. And because of all these things... He can be the Lamb of God that will take away not only the sin of the world, but can take away your sin. So, Jesus, so uh, John the Baptist says in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he repeats it, Behold the Lamb of God. And it's interesting that at this point, Two of, Jesus's, two of John the Baptist's disciples leave him and become followers of Jesus. And that's the idea of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is there so that he can lift Jesus high in the midst of people and people can see this Jesus and follow him. And suddenly people begin to see it. And John the Baptist goes into just a crowd and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they say, Yeah, I can see that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people say, yeah. Right away, people say, Okay, we'll follow him. What an extraordinary thing to happen. And this is what Christians have done for thousands of years in history. If you look at what's happened 
Most Christians will try and articulate their testimony, but something happens in their heart because what happens is there is a behold the Lamb of God moment and suddenly they say, and I am following him. They've gone. And mostly when you talk about people, they, sometimes they don't articulate it very well or anything like that, but they generally like that. There's a generally behold the Lamb of God moment. And here were two people. They were following John the Baptist, and now they're following Jesus. And that's what it means to become a Christian. When you become a Christian, it means that we no longer follow that any more. That that is no longer important to me. That that no longer is the thing that I do. I now follow this one. I was following all these different things, and now I'm following him. In other words, Jesus was able to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he was the God-man on earth. There's a wonderful word, isn't there, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, And the word became flesh and stood amongst us. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The word became flesh. And then we see the central reason why, to take away the sin of the... Why did God become man? To take away the sin of the world. When John wrote in the, his first letter, he put it like this. 1 John, verse three, uh, chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The reason that the Son of God appeared, behold the Lamb of God. The reason that he became flesh, the reason that he was on earth, the reason, what, and the reason that John the Baptist could say, behold the Lamb of God, was to take away sin. That was it. I have come to deal with the issue of sin. This is why he came. And most of us know that. In our hearts, we see this. We, we understand the, the, a little bit about the depth of ours, and we see what he's done. But why did, God, why did John sorry, add in 1 John 3, and in him there was no sin? Because the lambs that were, that were offered in sacrifice in the Old Testament to take away sin had to be spotless. They had to be without blemish. The whole system was pointing forward to an ultimate sacrifice one day. A final sacrifice that would deal with all sin. Because in the Old Testament what used to happen is they used to go back again and deal with sin again and again. Oh, we're back again. Why, the nation has sinned? Oh, blow. Imagine the poor old priest, you know, he's just done it, just done the old sacrifice thing, God has cleared it and all that sort of stuff. He walks out the tent and he goes back and he looks around in the little village and what does he see? They're all sinning again. He thinks, oh, blow, I've got to go do all that lot again. Which is what he would have thought. He probably thought like you, perhaps it's best that I stay in the tents because if I don't see it, I might have to go back. He used to go back again and again and again because this nation was, was just sinning and that sort of stuff. It just came. Until when John's saying, here he comes, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's happening now. 
God is sending his lamb to deal with the sin once and for all. This priest would deal with it finally. That would have made all the Levitical priests quite, well, at last, at last. And when Peter, another eyewitness and disciple, described how, how Jesus' ransom for us would look, what it would look like, he used this language. He said, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, but with a precious blood of Christ. Like a lamb, without blemish, without spot. How could Jesus be without sin? How does that work? Every person born in an ordinary way like you and I inherited Adam's sin. In fact, not only did we inherit it, according to Tim Harmon this morning, we got worse. Don't blame me for that statement. Blame him. If you'd like to check it, it'll be on iTunes. You can check that. He said that. Sin entered the world through one man and then it just went rife. And how could Jesus be without a sin then? Paul said this, he said, Just as sin came in through the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all men sinned. That's in the Bible, Tim. Every man born in the ordinary way is a sinner. And what do you know about sinners? Sinners can't save you. Sinners just can't. Why? Because sinners just let you down. If I went through this room right now and said to you, oh, come on, Andan, you know, how many people have you had you let you down? You would start with the big list, wouldn't you? We'd go over here and say, come on, you know, Denzel's our youngest person in the congregation. Denzel, you know, how many times have you... And why is that? Because sinners can't save you. How many times have you put your life in the hands of a person and then that person has let you down? Why is that? Because they sin. Isn't that true? How many times have you trusted somebody impeccably, wanted, thought the best of them, and then suddenly you found that you have been let down? I trusted my dad once. Because my dad had Wednesday afternoons off. And I don't know whether you ever like this, but he used to pick me up from school. And what I wanted him to do was this. I wanted him to walk me to the sweet shop like all of the dads. Just buy me some sweets and that dad and I would walk home eating sweets together. But my dad had a better idea. And he thought it would be, using my words, not his, cool, to come on his bike. And he had one of those bikes with the saddles on, on the crossbar. Now, can you imagine, as I looked through the window, how I was now beginning to feel that, I, that all in front of my mates, that this great, wonderful father of mine was going to place me on there and he was going to ride me in front of all my mates. Can you imagine what the Thursday morning was going to be like? Can you imagine what it was like? 
because everybody else's dad didn't have one at the back. They, they had the kids on the back. But my dad had it between his legs. What was that? And when I get to heaven and see my dad, it was a great, I need to have this, just have a little chat with him about how this, and you can go through things like this because sinful people don't save you. So the only person that can save you is somebody that is sinless and the only sinless person is Jesus. Because he is God. How could Jesus take away sin? Because he was not born in an ordinary way. He was not born in an ordinary way. He was not born of two human beings. He was the God-man because God ordained it that way. Do you remember how Luke describes this? How Luke describes the fact that, you know, that he is perfect. Right at the very beginning, at the story of the virgin birth, it says this, And an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. It's an understatement. For you have found favour with God. This is going to be a great moment. I have just won the lottery. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Oh, really? This is not quite what I was expecting. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. See, now it's moving on to being encouraging. He will be great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And on his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to, this, to the angel, How is this going to happen then? Since I am a virgin... And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. The child will be called the Sinless One, the Son of God. He was without sin. No original sin. No active sin. Can you imagine that? No active sin in his own behavior. I, I, do, I am just bad. I, I caused sin this evening. See, I go in the kitchen. <laughs> I go in the kitchen and I go in and there they all are doing the tea. So I go in and I don't know whether men you like this, but we always go in the kitchen at the wrong moment. But to us, it's the right moment because we are thinking about what we need right now. And I just thought, coffee. So I go into there and I just say, can I have a coffee? And, I, and you know this, you get the look, which means death by slow destruction. You got that look. And they go, make it yourself. <laughs> so then I do the man thing. I can't see what I need to be making it. So how can you make coffee when there's no coffee there? And there's no milk there? And that's so I get it all out. And I make myself coffee. And I think the best thing to do here is slip out quietly. Because cause there is just that thing going on that you can only feel, but, you know. So I move out of the kitchen. A little while later, Rachel comes out here. Rachel's my daughter. And, and says these famous words, Don't go in there, Dad. <laughs> 
Because the coffee, the big coffee, the, the, the massive coffee that we use, you know, as all churches buy, I had left it on the side. Only for somebody to knock it over so that the coffee was strewn all over the kitchen. You see, let me tell you, I cannot save you because I'm just so full of sin. And I need a bed this evening, so if you can please put me up. But Jesus is not like that because he is God. The Bible says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. Everything that is needed to save you is found in this one person. Everything about Jesus in this gospel shows to you that he is the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. Let's wind it down. So what does it mean when Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? It meant two shocking things for the Jews, and both of them are relevant for you. First, it meant that he would die. He would die like a lamb dies. He would be slaughtered because of you, because of me. And second, it meant that the whole world, not just the Jews, would benefit because of this one act. This God-man was the Jewish Messiah, but his death would take away the sin of the world, my sin as well. He was called the Lamb of God because he would die. And that is why God sent him. And that's why he came. It's why the word, word became flesh. He was God's lamb for God's world. Not just a Jewish lamb for Israel, but God's lamb for God's world. And those two truths can be summed up like this. Death and worldwide sin-bearing, which is why he came. Later on, there's a high priest that comes and speaks. And the high priest really didn't understand too much about Jesus, but he does address a group of people, and he speaks prophetically, almost as if God had rested on him. His suddenly revelation comes to him as who is standing before him. And he says this, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for a nation, and not for the nation only, but for those also to gather into one of the children of God who are scattered abroad. He will die. But not just for Jews. He will die for a people that are scattered around the world. You're scattered around the world, aren't you? He would die for you. John wrote in in his letter, he said, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not just ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. That just means that he will remove the wrath of God because it will take away your sin and my sin. 
It's extraordinary that he would do that. And we see this wrath removal. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. What this means. And this is what it means when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It doesn't mean that every person in the world will be saved. It means that every person in the world, Jew or Gentile, will be saved if they believe in Jesus and follow him. If they believe, their sin will be taken away. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Their sin taken away by the Lamb. If they believe, God's wrath will be removed from them by the Lamb. That's extraordinary. Well, what about my race then? No, it doesn't matter. What about my nationality? Doesn't matter. What about my ethnic background? No, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if I'm poor? No. Does it matter if I'm rich? No. Does it matter if I'm sick? No. Does it matter if I'm young or old? No. None of those things matters. What does matter? It matters that you believe. Believe on him. Bible says this, to as many as receive him, who believe on his name, their sins are taken away and the wrath of God is removed. And they are made children of God and given eternal life. It's a wonderful gospel. It's a wonderful gospel. Nothing else can save you. Only he can save you. Jesus, our Lamb, our Lord, everyone in this room is a sinner deserving of God's wrath. That's what the Bible said. And there's only one way to have your sins taken away and you to find favour with God. And it, it's not by working to earn it. It's not even by cleaning up your life first and then maybe I'll be able to get it out. It's not even by saying, well, when I've done this, the other, the other, the other, then I can do that. That doesn't work either because all of those things are fruit and not root. The only way that you can know this wrath removal, the forgiveness of sins, the free gift of eternal life is believing in this one person, Jesus Behold the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed on your behalf so that you need not die in your sins. Therefore, can I urge you to believe in Jesus as your Lamb and your Lord? Steve has believed. There was a day... And I have the privilege of seeing this unfold. And Steve's going to come and tell us about that in a few seconds. Where it was just, behold, the Lamb of God. And suddenly he understands what Jesus has done for him. And suddenly he understands what it's all about. Can I urge you to believe in Jesus, the Lamb? We started by saying that John the Baptist said, God showed me who this Jesus was. And I want to ask you a very serious question. Is God speaking to you right now? 
about who this Jesus is, then we would like to give you an opportunity to respond to that this evening. The way that we would like to do that is quite simple. You're going to have to come and speak to us. (laughs) Me, probably first. And I'm going to do something very selfish here. And that is just simply this. I would rather speak to you than anybody else. So, okay? You have my full attention. So at the end of this meeting, if you would like to know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then I would love to come and share that with you. And you have my priority. Is that a good deal? Let's pray. And then we'll get Steve up here. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, we thank you that you've done all that needed to be done to do that. We thank you that we have received it by faith because we have believed in you. And we want to thank you that for the privileges that come our way because of it. So we're just so thrilled of what you can do. And we pray, Lord, even this evening that you will have spoken afresh and caused people to just gaze again on the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. Amen. Okay, there are many reasons why uh, people choose to be baptised. And uh, we're going to get there. Uh, Jesus uh, set an example. Uh, He was baptised, as we know, by John the Baptist. Therefore, he was, uh, uh, therefore, uh, to be baptized, he was obedient uh, as in the path set out before, uh, by Jesus. And then Jesus, the last words that he, that he said uh, to us in the Great Commission was, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. This was Jesus leaving and saying, This is important. Very. This is what you should do. So the early church practiced it. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and the people responded, he said to them, repent and be baptized. We're going to do this. Every one of you. So, oh, okay. I suppose they had a river. I don't think they had something. It would take us ages, wouldn't it? There you go. But he did. He said, look, every one of you, let's do that. And when you see the New Testament unfolding and the, and, the, and the Acts unfolding, what you see is that there's one after another being baptized. It was an integral part of church life. I still would prefer it to do it outside, but there you go. That's just my preferences. In the cold. No. But it signifies uh, an end to an old life. And have been what the Bible calls born again to a new life. So when Steve goes down, it symbolizes the old life. When Steve comes up, hopefully, if we bring him up, it symbolizes the new life. So that's what we're going to do. It speaks of repentance and cleansing, of being united with Christ in his death. So it symbolizes what Jesus did, that Jesus died and rose. So when Steve does this, it shows us all the gospel. We could just say, this is what Jesus did. Cha-chunk. And we'll go, oh yeah, I know I get that. We can just see it. 
As the Apostle Paul said, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, uh, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's Romans chapter 6. That's the picture. And I believe that to be baptized will open ourselves uh, to a blessing of God. So we see Jesus being baptized and he says, the spirit descended on him and heaven opened and he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And I just don't believe that this is just sort of, you know, a bit of tile and a bit of water. I believe that actually we can expect God to speak to us. And impart something. It's not just, well, it's just, a, it's just an evangelical ritual. It wasn't an evangelical ritual for Jesus. Jesus was being set in on this path. He was going towards the cross. He knew what the next three years would, would entail. And God says to him, no, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he goes, oh, wow, now I can do it. That is wonderful. And so we can expect, so when we pray for Steve at the end, I need you to be thinking about some scriptures and some prophetic words and things that you've got for him so that he can know that moment too. But the question is, why should we baptize Steve? Should we find 